0: large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them he said if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother his wife and children his brothers and sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple suppose one of you wants to build a tower Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but it loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again if it loses its saltiness? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear.
1: Okay, well, let's um, pray and then consider this word from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that we can read the Bible and come to know Jesus and all that he teaches us. We thank you that he teaches us the way of salvation, that he is our Lord and Saviour, that we can enjoy life with you through him and we pray that you would help us to live as he calls us to live. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's not election time currently, but we know that, don't we? Because when we look at the TV, if it was election time, we'd see politicians strutting their stuff in shopping centres probably shaking hands with people and kissing babies and cuddling them. The term or the expression the hustings is not a word we normally use except around campaign time when people are presenting themselves to voters to get them to join their party and vote for them. And we live in a time when we can watch these kinds of things and these interactions which are sometimes spectacular when sometimes voters are... Uh, anti the person who's on the hustings, uh, and we get to see what the politicians look like. In the past, it wasn't always like that, of course. Before TV, uh, who you voted for wasn't as much of a beauty contest as it might be these days. But we see people out pressing the flesh, as they say, shaking hands, trying to win people for their side. Now, this morning, as we look at the ministry of Jesus, he's actually been compared to a politician, I don't know how you feel about that kind of comparison. Uh, Some people say, no, he was just a wandering sage who taught things, wise things. And other people say, no, he was more like a politician out on the hustings, gathering support. And in a sense, although it uh, it jars with us because it seems to cheapen Jesus, given the politicians that we know, uh, he's actually doing similar kinds of things. He's actually meeting the crowds. And that's where we see him today in this passage. But he's not the only one who's been uh, known for getting out there amongst the public, developing disciples. So I read recently about uh, something called the, the Long March. Has anybody heard of the Long March? Yeah? Then someone who wasn't here at the 9 o'clock service? Yeah. The Long March was actually a, a euphemism, which means it's a, a nice way to put a tactical retreat. It was actually the Red Army that uh, had this big, long march. You you lost someone, haven't you? Here he comes. (laughs) In China, the Red Army was trying to drum up business. They were trying to tout for business, as they say, amongst the peasants. And communist officials would go to different villages and tell them that uh, their lives of oppression would be over uh, and they'd become free from poverty if they joined into the Communist Party and perhaps even joined the Red Army. Now, many of these peasants couldn't actually read or write, so they weren't very familiar with the writings of Karl Marx or Lenin. So they actually um, they didn't really know what they were getting into, possibly. They didn't understand the core values of communism. So the Red Army became comprised of a whole lot of untrained and ill-equipped peasants. And uh, as they kind of tried to take hold of China they found that there was about 100,000 people in the Red Army and it went for a walk in a retreat, some 9,600 kilometres through about 20 mountain ranges and across 24 decent rivers. But it was actually a a bit of a a debacle uh, because there was only about 10% of the Red Army that was left who began uh, about a year earlier before they set out. It seems that those who were being encouraged to join into communism uh, as the source of avoiding poverty and oppression? Uh, well, they were actually invited into something that they maybe didn't quite understand. There was a lot of hard work to get them to be recruited. Uh, but is that what we see of Jesus? Does he actually try to give a hard sell to recruit people? And who is it that could make it into Jesus's group? If it was pretty easy to get into the Red Army... Is Jesus' group like that as well? Could you make it in pretty easily? Who would become one of his disciples and stand with him in the kingdom of God? Well, that's partly where we're on in this part of the book of Luke. Jesus is on a journey and he's moved out of that situation, that episode where we saw him with the leader of the Pharisees in that little household situation and a meal. And he's now out on the streets. And large crowds are travelling with Jesus. So he's got an invitation to all kinds of people. And in verse 25, we're told that turning to him, he said plenty of things. But before we get to those things, I want to say that this stage of his ministry, we should be familiar with the idea that he will be on the road. Because back in chapter 9, he tells us that he's on his way to Jerusalem. I'll read out for you chapter 9 verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, another translation was that he set his face towards Jerusalem. So he's, he's keen to get to Jerusalem. He knows that no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. And he's coming as God's Messiah to be the one who will die and rise again for sins. But right now, we're at a stage in the journey where he's gathering together disciples and he's calling people to himself. But it's not going to be good enough for people just to have tuned into him and heard him along the way. Even like us this morning, it's, it's okay to sit in here and read the words uh, in the pages and listen to Jesus, but there's actually warnings given to people who just hear him on the journey. And this is what we're told a little later in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 13, verse 24. He said to them, "Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many I tell you will try to enter and will not be able to once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us but he'll answerI don't know you or where you come from Then you'll say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets but he'll reply. I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. So we could be in that category too, where we can sit and listen to the words of Jesus in the same way that the people in the streets could hear from him. But it's not just enough to to have heard him being spoken about. We need to have a personal relationship with the Lord. And so that's my question for you this morning. Are you confident? Are you sure? that you've got a personal relationship with the Lord. Jesus came as the one who came to serve his service and to give his life as a ransom for many. But on the day of judgment, when we meet God, we won't be able to say, I've known about Jesus because I heard the Bible taught. The question is, have we just known of him or do we really know him? And if that's a question where you're at this morning, it'd be good for you to, get an answer to that or resolve that, perhaps even today, I'd be happy to talk with you or Scott or talk to someone about being sure that Jesus is your personal Lord and Saviour. Well, Jesus then continues and gives an all-encompassing call to the crowds and he gives us a call as well. In verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, Such a person cannot be my disciple. This is pretty strong language, and we know that he's talked elsewhere about loving your neighbour. Here it comes as a a bit jarring to hear the word hate being thrown around, especially with family. So we've got to ask, what's really going on here? Well, hate in this instance is language of preference. It's it's talking about uh, giving up an allegiance to someone's own family for argument's sake or or to your own own goals and dreams and having an allegiance to Jesus that comes first. From time to time we have to make choices, don't we? Uh, Think about when you go to a restaurant and you look at the menu and you think about what you'd like to order. I know my wife finds it hard to choose when she goes to a restaurant and I find that pretty handy actually at times as well. So she says, um, what should I get? And I think about what I'd like to eat. And I say, she get that. But the thing that makes it hard for her, as well as the fact she doesn't always feel her food, so I get that as well, which is pretty good. But the difficult thing about choosing is if you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. If we choose this, we have to say, well, we're not going to have that. And I think that's the concept that Jesus is tapping into when he's, when he's talking about hate. It's kind of, well, you, you either choose to come after me or you'll choose to forsake me and have something else that's the upper hand in your life. Would you sooner choose to follow family or follow Jesus as Lord? Would you sooner choose to follow your own selfish, self-absorbed desires in life. And I can say the same thing for myself. To do our own thing and to forget about Jesus and forsake him or we sooner have him as Lord. Our allegiances, according to Jesus, to anything else should be considered hate in comparison to our allegiance and loyalty to him. Now this can take shape in practice. I've noticed even in family, some people, uh, they come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus, they have him first in their life, but they find that their family doesn't see life the same way. I've got a friend who finds that he's got a strained relationship uh, with his parents now. It's nobody in this congregation. It's a, it's a mate from a while back. And uh, although he's chosen to follow Jesus and have him as Lord and Saviour, it's affected his relationship with his family, it comes at some cost. But he's understood that by Jesus being in very nature God, he owes his allegiance to Jesus and he can't turn it back. He's, he's, he's got Jesus as Lord and Saviour and it's irresistible for him to, to turn away from that. And so life comes as a bit of a compromise. Jesus as Lord and family comes a distant second. Have you had to make choices like that? Well, I'm not advocating Christianity as a cult, as I say this. This is a little disclaimer here. Just because we say yes to the Lord Jesus doesn't mean we need to cut off from family. Sometimes you see that in cult groups where the cult leader wants people to cut off from their family members uh, so that they can actually benefit, probably financially and in their power, with a particular cult group. But the Bible doesn't in- doesn't seem to encourage that. It says that we should look after our own families Uh, and if we don't we're worse than an unbeliever and so as christians we believe in god's common common grace uh, that we can still remain connected to families and and encourage them and witness to them uh, but we still set apart jesus as lord we need to remember that jesus is lord in a way that uh, father mother wife children or our own lives are not lord he's got to have first allegiance in our lives what kind of life is it then to follow Jesus? We're at the point where we're looking at the cross-bearing life in your outline. From verse 27, it says, "And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple." To understand discipleship, we've we've been given this illustration, this metaphor of the Christian life as cross-bearing, and we need to put our shoes, self, in the shoes of the person who's carrying some hard, horrible, heavy wooden cross on their way to die. They know they're on their way. They know that the game's up and there's a whole lot of things in life that they're not going to be worried about. They're not going to be worried about what kind of shoes they're wearing as they go to die on that cross. They're not going to be worried about who they might be having lunch with or feasting with or who they're missing out on being part of a party with. There's a lot of material things that they're not going to be worried about. In the day of iPods and CDs, they're not going to be worried about stockpiling those things. This person has a consciousness that their life is ending and that their eternal life is about to begin. And Jesus calls us to bear our cross and to follow him. And so we're to identify with Jesus. We're to be trusting him and united to him. But do we always think of life in those kinds of terms? Well, I don't think we always do. But this is a challenge for us to remember that life is brief and that it is important to live a simple life of trust in the Lord, relying on the Lord Jesus and looking forward to being with him in eternity. Jesus then goes forward and challenges his listeners to see whether they'll pay the price of following him over the long haul. And so he gives us two stories which are intriguing. The first one's about building. In verse 28 he says, Suppose... One of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay off the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, "This person began to build and wasn't able to finish." Here we can see a, a structure which the next little story also has, where there's a demanding job. In this case, it's to build a tower, whether it's for a a watchtower in a vineyard uh, for security or whether it's some kind of tower in a fortified city. Depends how much money the person's got, I suppose. The next thing they do is they start to analyse and go through the process of figuring out do they have deep enough pockets? Can they get this job done? And finally, they also think about the outcome if they can't complete the project And in this first story, the problem is that they're going to lose face if they can't get it done. They're going to be laughed at. Uh, I don't know if you've ever driven around places and seen a building that hasn't quite been finished off. When I was a little boy, I used to drive along. It was one of the streets in Portland, I'd say to Dad, what happened there? Well, of course, the poor builder, I think, either ran out of money or something else terrible happened. But that's the problem. If you can't complete it, there is trouble. So what's Jesus really getting at here? He's saying, look, normally in, people, in life with important things, people give some thought to it. They weigh it up before they dive in because they know that if they butcher the job, they'll get ridiculed. He's saying, look, you need to weigh up whether you can even be my disciples and follow me over the long haul. In the second story, we look at a picture of battle In verse 31 he says, "Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other's still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. Again, the same kind of structure applies. There's a challenging situation. They start to work out, is it possible to actually overcome And they think about, if not, what's the result? Now, the setting for this kind of logic might also be bound up with what people are relying on, possibly as they think about how to stand right in God's eyes. Some people might have been thinking, well, if I've just got the right family connections, maybe that'll be the thing that that gets me into the kingdom of God. Or if I can just rely on the good things that I've done, maybe those are the things that I can rely on to get me into the kingdom of God. But Jesus is saying if you're going to rely on those kinds of things, it's like the person who ran out of money building the building. It's not going to be enough. It's going to fall short. The only thing that's really going to help us get into the kingdom of God is to trust and obey Jesus, isn't it? It's the trust and obey story. We trust his work and then in response to the salvation that we enjoy with him, we then obey him and hold fast to him for the rest of our lives. That's the single-minded kind of life that Jesus calls us to, which is again picked up in verse 33. He says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. He's driving home this point that everything else, apart from allegiance to him, should be in second place. He sets out the terms and the conditions for our discipleship. And he's saying, like the song we sing with the kids sometimes, Jesus, number one. That's who he has to be in our lives. If we're going to enter God's kingdom, we have to have Jesus as number one. Well, finally, he concludes with the parable about salt. Verse 34, he says, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear... Let them hear. If the salt loses its saltiness, if that could happen, then it's useless. Salt's actually pretty good for preserving things. In the days before refrigeration, you could preserve meat and stop things going rotten. If the salt couldn't do that, it would be useless. And I think he's saying, unless we also hold on to him, unless we remain Christians, to the end of the race, then belief in him at some point earlier is in vain. We talked about that with the young people at youth group on Friday night. They were talking about examples of this word, things done in vain, to say that if I, was, um, if I needed to get to Peter Chapman and I decided to go around the world the other way and then get there, well, actually, that would be in vain because I could just walk across there. Uh, it's, it's in vain to say, start out in the Christian life, but then halfway through it, chuck it in. Jesus wants us to be people who persevere to the end and hold on to him. Well, in this passage, we've been challenged with the idea of loyalty and allegiance. It looked pretty easy, it seems, to get into the Red Army. It didn't seem that you had to be a special forces soldier to break into that that, uh, crack regiment. You just had to be a peasant who probably didn't need to know much. And it seemed like a pretty low bar. But Jesus doesn't have a mission calling quite like that, does he? It almost seems like he's trying to talk people out of becoming his disciple. We can't even get off first base. We can't even join his team unless he's number one in our lives. And the price could be high. It is high. It could involve strained relationships with family members if we come after him. We won't always see eye to eye with perhaps folk who we're connected to in our families, who see the world differently. When it comes to time, it costs us, doesn't it, to actually be part of God's family together and to put life energy into each other, to build one another up. That's a cost. At work, we might not be the the most, the life of the party at work, the, the person who's most popular. We might not always fit in that well either. People might look at us like we've got two heads, because we're Christians. It comes as a cost to be a disciple of Jesus. And in some circumstances, it could even mean us costing our own lives. I was born on the 24th of August. That probably won't mean much to you, but it's actually the day of St Bartholomew's Day. Does anyone know what St Bartholomew's Day is? No? Oh, good. This will be hopefully interesting. On the 24th of August... In 1572, that was a dreadful day. What happened in France was that there were a number of people, a lot like us, who were Protestant Christians, who were benefiting from the teaching of John Calvin, who actually found themselves gaining, I guess, a bit of a groundswell in France. There was something like around 18 million people in France in the 1500s, uh, but there became a Protestant movement which took hold. And about a million people uh, were like us. They were called the Huguenots and they were uh, trusting in the sufficient work of Jesus for salvation and, and relying on that solely to get right with God, not joining some sacramental system to try to cooperate with God and somehow earn our way to life with him. But because the Protestant movement sort of gained currency, there was a situation where some noble started to marry into the Protestants uh, and the Catholics didn't like it. And there was a time when the Protestants went into France to celebrate the marriage of uh, some of the nobility into, into the Protestant sort of community. And at that time, they realised that, well, some of the leaders of the Protestant movement had come into Paris, which was a walled city, and they thought, well, actually, we could probably wipe out the leadership and put a stop to this movement straight away. And so on the 24th of August, they, they um, started to hunt down and kill the, the leaders of the Protestant movement. The very sad thing, though, was that it didn't get contained in Paris. Unfortunately, it it wasn't just one day where the Protestants got killed off. It actually spread throughout France, and so it became a season, open season, if you like, on killing uh, the people who were just like us. They, They believed the same kinds of things. They liked the writings of John Calvin, just like we do. That's because John Calvin was trying to grasp hold of what the Bible actually taught and help people to see that he was in line with what the, the apostles and the early church actually taught. And unfortunately, it's estimated that up to about 50,000 men, women and children included were killed off because they maintained their allegiance to Jesus. They maintained that salvation's by God's grace alone, that it's found in Christ alone and not by works so that we can't boast that we've earned our life with God. That's what allegiance to Christ can come down to, can't it? I don't like pain, especially not mine, but that still seems to be part and parcel of the cost of following Jesus as Lord. Well, may God help us to be people who don't just start the race uh, and chuck it in, but stand the test of time and continue in the gospel, continue to hold on to what Jesus has done for us, And finally to enter his kingdom and enjoy salvation at the end of the day. Let's pray. And Lord God, we do give you thanks that we are called to be your people. And we pray that you would help us not to take for granted uh, the wonderful teaching that we can receive from your word, which is a comfort to us and gives us assurance of our salvation with you that comes through your grace and is found through faith in Jesus alone. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to persevere with that faith, not to depart the race, but to stand the test of time because you're working within us. And we pray that you would help us to hold on to Jesus as Lord. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day that we can encourage one another and we pray that you would help us to be salt and light in the world that you've placed us in. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us and we pray that you would help us persevere. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.